Test, can you hear me? Check, 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 one, two, check, one, two. This is what I do, I know this part. Scott, I know I'm short, but I'm not that short, buddy. I got my heels on today. <laughs> All right. I know I sing up here a lot, but I never talk, so yeah, I'm nervous. All right. Well, let's, uh, my, first off, my name is Erin, and I am a believer who's in recovery for codependency to an addict and past sexual and physical abuse. Erin. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving me a voice that can speak of your redemptive powers, Lord God, that I can share what's happened in my own life. Please use the broken areas of my life to speak into the life of another. May it further your kingdom, Heavenly Father. Cover me with your peace that transcends all understanding and give me confidence, all for the honor and glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Uh, well, I was born in Fresno, California. I have one sister and five brothers. I grew up in a non-practicing Catholic home where we only attended church for Ash Wednesday and Easter. My older sister and brother are from my mother's first marriage, and I am from my mother's second marriage. Uh, my biological father left shortly after I was born. At the age of two, my mother married the man who would later adopt me and become known as dad. And together they had my four younger brothers, total of seven of us kids. My mother owns two Mexican restaurants in Fresno. I grew up either sitting in a booth waiting for her to finish work or helped by waiting tables. My dad was an immigrant who came to the United States and started a farm labor contracting business. Every summer, my dad would take me and my siblings to go work with him in the grape fields. As much as I hated working in the fields, it's one of the few good memories that I have of a time spent with my dad. When I was in elementary school, my dad's business began to grow. His wealth of money introduced him to a life of drinking and affairs. When describing my dad, I often tell people he's like the character Tony Montana from the movie Scarface. A hot-tempered drunk who used foul language, was abusive, and people were afraid of him. As he changed with his money, so did his parenting. Spankings turned into physical abuse. How drunk he was would determine how bad the beating was. When he was finished hitting me and making whatever point he felt he needed to make, I'd immediately run to the bathroom and lock the door. I never felt like I had anyone to talk to, so I'd often sit on the bathroom counter and talk to the little girl that I saw in the mirror. I never wanted him to hear me cry because if he did, he'd hit me harder. So I cried as quietly as I could. I hated him. I hated myself and I hated my life and I wished that my real dad would come to take me away. I loved my mom and my siblings, but I wanted to be free from the physical abuse. I never told anyone about the abuse because I was afraid of what my dad would do if he found out. To make up for the abuse, he'd often buy me an expensive gift or try to make me laugh with his stupid jokes. I would laugh because I was afraid if I didn't, then he'd hit me. Every gift he bought me was just a painful reminder of what he'd done. I hated the money and I hated what it did to my dad. 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all evil. I didn't know God at this point in my life. My older brother used to tell me stories about heaven and hell. He would tell me, 
good people go to heaven, up in the sky with God, and bad people go to hell, under the ground to be with the devil, where the demons torture you. He also told me that God was powerful and he could beat up the devil. To this day, I don't know where my brother learned this, but I'm grateful that it was the start of me believing that there was a place called heaven and I wanted to be there with God. My cries went from speaking to the little girl in the bathroom mirror to looking up and asking God to save me and bring me my real dad to come and take me away. 2 Corinthians 6:18. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. While the physical abuse was occurring at home, I was also being sexually abused by a relative who babysat me on multiple occasions. I was afraid and didn't understand what was happening, so I never said anything to anyone. It wasn't until later in my teenage years that I learned that this was sexual abuse. By then, I felt that no one would believe me if I told them about it, and it was embarrassing, so I never told anyone. While enduring the sexual abuse, I would then go home to my drunk and physically abusive father. I so desperately wanted my dad to be my protector, but he was my greatest source of pain and fear. These were some of the darkest moments of my childhood. Psalms 10:14. But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. As I got older, I struggled with my behavior in middle school and high school. I had great relationships with my teachers until a few tried to discipline me or make me follow a rule. I'd have fits of rage and throw things across the classroom and threaten to hurt them. It's what I learned at home, and my dad had money, so. I wasn't afraid of consequences or other adults. No one could hurt me the way my dad did, so why would I be afraid? While in high school, my dad was put in prison for involuntary manslaughter, killing the driver of another vehicle while driving drunk. Although I was sorry for what happened to the other person, I was grateful for what happened to my dad because then he couldn't hurt me, my mom, or my siblings anymore. I often wondered why my mom didn't use these times as an opportunity to leave him. Instead, she would take us to visit him in prison where he had everyone fooled into believing that he was going to do better. It's a little bug, sorry. <laughs> With my dad in prison, my mom always working, and my two older siblings out of the house, I was left to parent myself and be responsible for my four younger brothers. I found my sexuality in this time, and at the age of 15, I became pregnant. My mother took notice and drove me to Planned Parenthood to find out that I was indeed pregnant. I remember the fear I saw in my mother's eyes. She wasn't angry with me, just trembling in fear, as she explained that my father would kill us if he found out. She scheduled me for an abortion. I had no idea what an abortion was, but I went through with it to protect us from my dad. I had my first abortion at the young age of 15. Soon after my dad was released from prison and he was back to his usual drunk and abusive self. In the middle of my senior year of high school, I was sneaking out of the house often to go to house parties and meet boys. I became pregnant again. To save my mother from any emotional distress, I drove myself to Planned Parenthood for yet another abortion. 
Years later, I had my third abortion, an action led by fear. Proverbs 29:25. fear of man will prove to be snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. After graduating high school, I moved to Long Beach for college. I was partying at all hours of the night, drinking before I was 21, using my sexuality to control and get the attention of men. I was going to raves and partying at wee hours of the night. I put myself and my friends in risky situations, taking late night trips to Tijuana, Mexico. If I didn't have the gas to get there, I'd use a hose to suck out the gas from another car and put it into my own. And I'd take my friends to stay in roach motels nearby the TJ strip clubs and nightclubs. My dad wasn't around, so I felt invincible. I had multiple sexual partners and didn't see the value of having a meaningful relationship with anyone. I lived my life of self-destruction for many years through early adulthood. This was when I was at my lowest. Galatians 6, 8. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from their flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. In 2002, a year after my college graduation, my mother joined an Al-Anon group and finally divorced my dad. Again, he was placed in prison on his sixth DUI. He wrote letters to tell me how sorry he was for all that he'd done to me and to please forgive him. It was the first time I'd ever read the words, I'm sorry, from him. He has been out of prison for about 10 years now. I have occasionally met him for lunches or called to see how he was, and that just opened new opportunities for him to hurt me again. To keep my serenity and sanity, I now keep a safe physical distance and no longer communicate with my dad. While celebrating my 23rd birthday in Fresno, my mother wanted to surprise me with an unexpected introduction to my biological father. As she introduced me to him, I felt like I'd seen a ghost. There he was, the man that I prayed would come to rescue me all those years. He was too late. I didn't need him anymore. For many years after, my mother encouraged me to have a relationship with him, and I resisted. He would write letters to tell me how much he loved me. I hated reading those words, I love you. How could you love a child that you abandoned and never came back for? I ripped up every letter and threw it down the toilet to never be seen again. I had a lot of anger and resentment at this time. I got involved in mixed martial arts as a means to let out my anger. During this time, I had a longtime boyfriend. After dating for several years, I became pregnant. Although not planned, I wasn't going to let this baby go. Oh, <laughs> on May 16th, 2006, I gave birth to my daughter. <laughs> a gift that I didn't deserve, a perfect child I felt that I wasn't worthy of to be her mother, but God knitted her together in my tummy and he chose me to be her mama. What a beautiful picture of God's grace and the love that he lavishes on his children. James 1:17. every good and perfect gift is from above. Sorry. Okay. Soon after my daughter was born, her father asked for my hand in marriage. I was the very opposite of a submissive wife. 
I established very early on in my marriage that I wore the pants in the relationship. (laughs) My daughter became my sole purpose of living, and I knew I had to be a better person for her. I began to slowly turn towards the Lord, knowing that He was the only person who could change me. I attended Catholic Church services every Sunday with my baby girl in my arms, just the two of us. My husband was an absent father and husband. He would often make fun of me for attending church and called me a holy roller. I began to drift away and disconnect from him and lost the purpose that I was seeking in the Lord. Instead, I sought the attention from other men. My daylight hours were dedicated to my daughter and work. Once I put her to bed each night, I would train at a local boxing gym and stay out late to meet with another man. This went on for about one year. I hated who I was as a wife. My marriage ended in divorce when my daughter was about four years old, and I quit attending church services because of the guilt and shame that consumed me. Psalm 25, seven. Do not remember the rebellious sins of my youth. Remember me in the light of your unfailing love, for you are merciful, O Lord. While working for a solar company in Southern California, I met my now husband, who lives in Modesto. I managed the Southern California region, and he was from our corporate headquarters in Livermore. And he was, I'm sorry, it was not love at first sight. He thought I was a floozy, and I thought he was a womanizer. Neither of us wanted that in our lives. But after two years of working together, we began to become attracted to one another's intelligence. We went out on a few dates and things began to get serious. I panicked. I was afraid of committing my life to yet another man when I was such a broken woman. I remember one evening crying on the bathroom floor, a familiar place, asking God to help me be a better woman, a faithful woman. I didn't want to be the person that I was with my first husband. As things progressed in our relationship, he proposed to me three times and I rejected him three times, afraid of the commitment that marriage meant. Thank you for being patient with me, honey. (laughs) He then asked me and my daughter to move to Modesto with him and his son. I hesitated, saying, there is no way I'm leaving my beach town in Ventura to live in a 100-degree farm town Modesto. (laughs) I followed my heart, and here I am in Modesto. After one month, I became pregnant, and on January 23rd, 2014, I gave birth to my son, another precious gift, my precious baby boy, a beautiful and perfect gift. My husband proposed one last time, and I finally said yes. We were married by Elvis. (laughs) We were married by Elvis at Graceland Wedding Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada, on March 3rd, or I'm sorry, yes, March 3rd, 2015. Sorry, no, March 7th. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) We made our blended family official with our three children. My husband began bringing me to Big Valley Grace for Sunday services. I would beg him to allow us to get to church 30 minutes late so that I didn't have to listen to the concert at the beginning of service. (laughs) I didn't understand why the music was so loud. And where was the cross with Jesus on it? It was such a big change for me coming from the Catholic Church. The Lord began chipping away at my calloused heart. 
I began to listen more intently during services and learn the songs in church so that I could participate in singing along. It took a while, but I eventually loved the worship part of services. I later joined Aaron Countryman's Bible study for the book of John. My husband bought me my first Bible, and as I read through, Bible, through the Bible each week, I was drawn to read more and more. This is when my life began to transform. My friends and family began to see the changes in my attitude and in the way that I loved others. I began to serve in our children's ministry to give back to children and serve them. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I finally had a relationship with the Lord, but I had doubts that he could really love and accept me. My best friend invited me to attend a women's conference that was being held at the Doubletree in Modesto. There were about 1,000 women at this event, 1,000 women who would witness the day that my life changed forever. The theme of the night was redemption. At the end of the event, the guest speaker asked if anyone wanted to come to the front of the stage for prayer and a blessing. My friend walked with me to the stage. After this woman prayed over the exact hurts and the exact unworthiness that I felt, I fell to my knees as I cried out, and God's peace and love flooded over me, letting me know that I was forgiven as far as east is from the west. And for the first time ever, my hands were raised to Jesus in full and complete surrender of my life. On March 23rd, 2016, I was baptized. It is often said that once you give your life to Jesus, Satan works overtime to try and destroy your faith. During this time, I found out that my husband had an addiction. Simultaneously, I received a phone call from Fresno Community Hospital informing me that my biological father had cancer and was in the ICU. They needed me to arrive as soon as possible, not giving me much detail. Regret immediately began to flood my heart. Regret that I rejected my biological father's attempts to be a part of my adult life. I arrived at the hospital the next morning and walked into a man that I did not physically recognize. He was in an induced coma. His head was wrapped in gauze, wires attached to everywhere, breathing tubes down his throat. His body was wrapped in a medical cooling blanket and he kept convulsing. In addition to the cancer, he was also in septic shock. I stood there shaken at what I was seeing. I was mad that I didn't know about the cancer before. I covered his body with my hands, and as tears filled my eyes, I prayed with faith that I would see him fully recover from this. The neurosurgeon informed me that my father had maybe one to three weeks left to live. I walked away from that doctor thinking, just watch what my God will do. <laughs> I knew that by my faith alone that God could make a miracle happen. 1 John 4.4, 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That was on August 21st, 2017. After two months in the hospital, seven months of intense chemotherapy and physical therapy, he is still alive today with no signs of cancer. <laughs> While in his hospital bed, I read the Bible to him every day, and, wa and we watched online services when he was finally able to open his eyes. God spared me the pain of losing my biological father. 
He lived with me for several months till he was able to care for himself. We kept our relationship for a short while, but it's been about two years since he's last called or texted. I don't regret caring for my father when he needed me. The Lord commands me to honor my parents and spread the gospel, and that is what I did. But that didn't stop the hurt feelings of rejection and abandonment, which spiraled me into a pattern of playing the victim role in my marriage. I thought, if I'm hurting, then surely my husband would feel sorry for me and stop his life of addiction. I also thought that I could control my husband's addiction. I got us into couples counseling, I tracked his whereabouts, checked his messages, slept with one eye open, and asked questions that I already knew the answer to, just to see if he'd lie to me. My policing behavior didn't stop him from his addiction. It only put me deeper in my own. Pastor Scott Stubbert would often encourage me to attend CR. I'd smile at the nice gesture and think, tell that to my husband. <laughs> After a significant incident in my marriage with my addict, I felt defeated, worthless, disrespected, disgusted, alone, and out of control. I picked up the phone and called Pastor Scott for help. I wanted him to tell me to leave my husband and to tell me that I could do this on my own. Instead, he said, Aaron, please come to CR tonight. Coincidentally, it was Tuesday. I finally came, sat right over there, and I've been here ever since. <laughs> that first night as I sat alone, right over there, I cried through worship because the words hit different. I cried through the reading of the 12 steps as I nodded my head that yes, my life was out of control. And I heard the serenity prayer as it was intended for me to hear. I finally said yes to attending small groups and it is now the favorite part of my Tuesday nights. With those women, I know that I'm not alone and I have a support system of women who share their experiences to give me hope and strength. I soon joined a step study and discovered how I was contributing to the chaos in my life. I was surprised it wasn't all my husband's fault. <laughs> Through my step study, EMDR treatment, recovery counseling, lots of prayer and taking action towards an honest recovery, I finally learned to love myself and get healing from my past experiences that led me to where I was. I finally understood what it meant to fourth step it and the importance of learning my part and making amends. My first amends was to my three unborn children. I wrote each of them a letter to tell them how sorry I was and had deep conversations with the Lord, repenting of this dark part of my past. My husband and I have been together for 11 years. With God's help, I have been a faithful girlfriend and wife since the day I met him. By God's grace, By God's grace, my marriage now has healthy boundaries. I'm emotionally more stable and have less or shorter outbursts. I value life and relationships, and I am a better parent to my three children. I have grown in my relationship with the Lord. I have a group of women who remind me of what God can and will do, and an amazing sponsor who is used by the Lord to speak into my life. I've gained an extended family through the people here at church. They have lifted me when I was low and prayed for me when I couldn't. More importantly, 
I learned to stay in my own recovery lane and to quit trying to control the behavior of others. I am responsible for my recovery, not the recovery of others. The addicts in my life may never fully recover on this side of heaven, but I will keep working on my recovery. What the enemy used to destroy me, God used to refine me. My weakness was used as a platform for God to display his power and glory in my life. I have learned in my experiences that when Jesus is asking me to suffer, he's not gonna leave me alone in that fire. He is right there with me, creating in me something new so that I can further his kingdom with my testimony. Psalm 42, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. I used to believe, <clears throat> excuse me, I used to believe that I was cursed and that every bad thing that occurred to me is what I deserved for the harm that I caused myself and others. I'm not proud of my past and the pain that I've experienced, but I would never know the contrast of the joy that I have today had it not been for this pain. I accept hardship as a pathway to peace. Each experience has brought me closer to my King Jesus. I am no longer a victim, but a choice maker. I am a first generation Christian in my family, breaking generational curses. I am blessed, not cursed. I am chosen, not rejected. I am favored, not forgotten. I am redeemed, not damned. I am the daughter of the most high king who is not moved by this world. Despite my sin, God still uses me to do good work for him. I am honored and privileged to serve as a worship leader here at Big Valley Grace across all our campuses. I don't take my role here lightly, but through recovery, I now come up here to shout praises for what the Lord has done in my life and what he can do in yours. When I feel unworthy, shame, or guilt, I am reminded Jesus exchanged his life for Barabbas, a criminal. Rahab was a prostitute whose life was spared and her name is written in the genealogy of Jesus. The Samaritan woman at the well who had a questionable past with men, Jesus sat with her and drank water from her cup. And I am reminded that the adulterous woman, there wasn't one stone thrown at her. Jesus loved these women and gave them a fresh start. No one is beyond God's transforming power. But let me remind you of what Jesus said in John 8 to the adulterous woman. He said, go and sin no more. To the newcomer and to the seasoned CR veteran, never doubt what God can do and don't quit before the healing because the blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear and the dead are raised to life. Miracles do happen. This is my story. My God did not fail me and he will not fail me. He is faithful to the end. Thank you for letting me share. Hey, let's hear it for Aaron one more time. Aaron, thank you for sharing your story. It's very impactful. I remember many hours in my office. And it is awesome to see you up here sharing the story that you didn't bail like you thought you wanted to and you just trusted in the Lord. Thank you for that. If her story touched your heart, if it impacted you, I encourage you. She's around here a lot. Make sure you go up to her and encourage her and her story. 
um, all that kind of stuff. But hey, she shared a lot of hurts and pains in her life. Our focus question tonight in our open share group is this, is how do you deal with the hurt and pain now that you're in recovery? So what's different between how you dealt with it and how you deal with it now? And so I just encourage you to be sharing that tonight. If you're online watching, um, call up your sponsor, get with the groups that you guys get with and have that question and answer it. But let's close our time with the serenity prayer and then we'll head off to our open share group. So stand with me and uh, let's do this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you'll make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever the next. Amen.